We started our time after meeting here, meet and greet with that song, The Heart of Worship, because I really think in many ways it, it helps us continue what we started last Sunday when it comes to the topic of prayer. In Luke 11, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And last Sunday we, we looked at it, and we're going to look at it again, uh, this idea of prayer and I'm, I'm just wondering, because in that song, that's, that's really a prayer song, what we just sang, I'm, the heart of worship. And, and the, the person singing is really praying and confessing to God that, Lord, I need you to forgive me because I turned prayer into something it's not. I turned worship into something it's not, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a worship song. And, and, and the writer says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Worship is a response to God. And yet how many of us, when we say worship in the context of church, we just think of performance. We think of style. We think of how do the people sound up here. We, we're, we're already wondering. We're critiquing. It's thumbs up. It's thumbs downs. It's a like. It's a don't like. Right? It's, that's not how we played it last time. It's like, I don't like that version. And then we slide into, well, how do I sound? And should I put my hands up? Should I put them here? Should I do one hand? Should I do two hands? And, and this idea, this truth of worship being a response to God, full freedom response to God, is completely shot. The first note, it becomes about, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about us. And, and we live in this culture, this, this freedom to opine, freedom to comment culture, where suddenly, instead of us corporately worshiping God in response to who God is, suddenly we're passively critiquing the band and critiquing us and just mechanically going through this thing we're supposed to call worship, Right? And I wonder how many of us would, would simply just change this, this slide to, uh, instead of worship, it's about prayer. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made prayer. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Even prayer. Who's prayer about? What's prayer about? Right? And, and we're looking at this, our, our, our prayer as a congregation, individually and corporately, is, is Lord, the same prayer, that, that the same request, Lord, teach us to pray. In, in Luke 11, right, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So he gives an abridged version of what many of you recognize as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, which really should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Right? So they, they come to Jesus. Jesus finishes praying and a very reasonable, wonderful request, right? Like a no-brainer. It's like, hey, that's Jesus. Maybe we should ask him to teach us to pray. Talk about going to the source. Right? If you want to learn how to pray, you should probably talk, ask God's son, who, by example, prayed a lot. So just they ask him, teach us to pray, right? And, and last week we began this series with, with the recognition that to request Jesus to ask him to teach us to pray re- requires on the front end that we be teachable, Right? If I say, Pat, teach me the guitar, well, that, that implies I'm teachable, that I, I'm teachable, right? In any skill, you want to learn golf, you want to learn whatever, if you ask someone to teach you something, there's an implication, an assumption, a foundational, right, affirmation that I'm going to be teachable, I'm going to be teachable, right? A few, many of you know that um, a couple weeks ago I wasn't here uh, my wife and I went out to Albuquerque uh, because I, I, every couple of years, I run in national senior games. I sprint, right? And it's the same thing. There's a there's this phrase in, in track and field that says sprinters sprint, right? And, and what you have to understand, if you're going to learn to sprint, you have to be teachable because sprinters don't just run fast. Sprinters sprint, which means there's a whole other world of sprinting. There's technique, there's training, unique to anything from the 50 to the 400. It's a unique world. 
It's not just like a, a miler going out and running fast. That's not sprinting. That's just a miler running fast, right? So sprinters sprint, runners run, right? Jumpers jump. But if on the front end I go into this competitive mindset and I'm like, I don't need it. I just go around and run, right? And we just go run? The gun goes off and you just run. No. Sprinters sprint, which means you need to be teachable, which means you wipe the slate clean, you go back to elementary school, primary school, and you say, what does that mean, sprinter sprint? It means you just start with a blank slate. Well, if we say Jesus teaches to pray, our biggest challenge might be us because we think we know how to pray. Just like in the track and field, if I go out there and Mr. Know-it-all and think, sprinter sprint, that's dumb. And I go out there with some arrogant, prideful attitude and I'm not teachable, well, I'm just hurting myself. I'm ultimately just hurting myself. In the same way, when it comes to prayer, our biggest challenge is to be teachable because often we grew up around prayer if you've been in the church for any length of time. We talked about last Sunday, many of you pray and you don't know why you pray the way you do other than you're just mimicking what your parents did, what your peers did, what your Sunday school teacher did, what your professors and seminary, Bible college. Most of you pray just because you mimic. You mimic uh, what, what you saw and observed and seemed to work. Because by golly, if that's the way Doris prays, it must be the way to pray. Right? Because you have these, these sort of these spiritual icons and you listen to them and you want to emulate them and, and they're your role model and suddenly you pick up things. Right? But did you ever stop to ask yourself, but am I, is that actually accurate? Like we spent some time last Sunday talking about this phrase, in Jesus' name. Why do you even say that? Because in Jesus' model that we're going to see in the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't say that. It it would be classic, right? And lead us not into temptation. In my name, amen. He doesn't say in my name. Think about that. Jesus doesn't say, and when you pray, end it with in my name, amen. And yet many of us have picked up the phrase in Jesus' name as a tagline, as a magic formula, as superstitious. Like if you don't say in Jesus' name, it doesn't count. Right? Survey. How many of you, and my hand will go up to, how many of you have been praying with someone and they don't say the magic phrase? And it's a hanging silence. Anyone? And you feel a little bit awkward. Like, ah, rookie doesn't know. You know, God will forgive him, just a rook. Just the rook doesn't really know how we do it at the well. At the well, it's always in Jesus' name. Where, do, where is that? What does that even mean? Why do you say that? Honestly, why do you say that? Do you even know what the phrase in Jesus' name means? Because actually, if you did, you would be saying it on the front end of a prayer. Because Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence through our high priest, Jesus. There's one mediator. Jesus. So when I say in Jesus' name, what I'm really saying is, Father, I come to you through the mediator, Jesus. I come to you in his name, in his authority, in his redemptive, in his redemption over me. Father, I am privileged to come to you only through Jesus. So when I come to you in Jesus' name, it means we're good. It's like, it's like what I shared last week. Come here, Bill. It's like I shared, and, and this is helpful for many of you. I'm, I'm going this again because this stuff is so deeply ingrained in us that you're like this, right? So let's say here's Father's throne. Here's Bill. And he's, he's wondering if he can approach the throne of grace. Father. And he's nervous. And he's, he stops. He's like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Jesus, let's say I'm Jesus. He's a believer. He's put his faith in me and Jesus. So when he says in Jesus' name, it's like, hey, Father, he's good. He's with me. Amen. He's with me. Oh, and you know what? She's with me too. And she's with me. They can all come. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, you can come to Father in his name. Amen? That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. That's why you come with confidence, because you got in with the bouncer at the door. Right? Right? The bouncer at the door. Are we going to get into the club? Are we going to get in the club? Hey, what's up? I know the bouncer. I know the guy, I know the gatekeeper at the door. We're good. You walk right up. Hey, what's up? And everyone else in line is like, what's up with that? It's because who you know. And we know him. Amen? If you know him, Jesus, then you can come to Father in and through him only. Alone. That's in Jesus' name. Right? 
I challenged you last Sunday, if we look at, uh, let's go ahead and look at uh, Matthew, right? Familiar passage where Jesus, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, right? Let's read what we know as the Our Father, which should really be the disciples' prayer. So let's read this together. It'll come up on the screens, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, very familiar passage. But the title of this sermon series is, Are You Praying or Just Saying? Because we just read that, but we just said it. I don't know if we really prayed that. I don't know if we really prayed that. Right? What's the difference? Are you praying or just saying? Right? The context is very important to understand the context of, of this passage. This passage occurs in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. And the way to kind of basically describe the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining to his disciples, his, to believers, what it means to live in the kingdom. He gives you kingdom principles and kingdom values, and he says, this is how kingdom people live. You read the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about fasting, giving, right? Divorce, talks about loving your enemies, talks about do not worry. The, math, the Sermon on the Mount is a very practical sermon, but it is designed specifically for believers to understand how to live on this planet based on kingdom truth, based on kingdom values. So if you're a kingdom person, if you're a citizen of heaven, Jesus says, this is how citizens of heaven live, Matthew 5 through 7. Specifically in the passage we just read, he says, this is how kingdom people pray. Important. Jesus himself in this passage gives very clear direction about how kingdom people are to pray. Are to pray. Right? You know the verse, many of you are familiar with the verse, pray without ceasing. Well, many of us, I shared last Sunday, we pray kind of without thinking. We just kind of, again, mimic, it's rote, it's ritual, and we just kind of fire it off. But how many of us have ever stopped to really ask ourselves or ask the Lord, how do we pray? Really, teach us to pray. And so we asked these questions. I kind of gave a pop quiz last Sunday. What is prayer? Why should we pray? When should we pray? Who should pray? Who should we pray to? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, who should we pray to? Right? Where should we pray? How should we pray? How many prayed this morning? How many are wondering if you did it right? Just asking. Just asking. Right? Because they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And so if we're going to pray, we have to understand the context that it's the Sermon on the Mount. We also have to understand a broader biblical concept, and and many of you have been with me for a few years. It's called covenant. It's called covenant. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're in the new covenant with me, this is how covenant people pray. This is how kingdom people pray, based on the new covenant. Okay, so this is very important. The word covenant in the Bible really means a binding agreement, like uh, when people get married. They go into covenant. It's a covenant. It's a relationship, binding relationship. In the Bible, we've seen this in the past, there's two words for covenant, right? Suntheki and diatheki. Suntheki is, an agree- is a binding agreement between two equal parties. It's a business arrangement. So Scott and I, we're going to enter into a suntheki business arrangement. So we negotiate and we see each other as equals and we come to an agreement. Our covenant is binding, but it's suntheki in nature. Two, we're like this. Diatheki describes the covenant relationship you and I have with the Lord. A diatheki covenant 
is greater to lesser. Where the greater sets the terms and the lesser can only agree or disagree. There's no negotiation. Think about the gospel. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a diatheke statement. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who set the terms of the gospel? God. Who has set the terms of the gospel? That we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Who set that up? God. So we can either, we only have two options. What's the options? Accept or not. It's not open to negotiation. Right? It's not open to negotiation. So God opens your eyes. You put your faith in Jesus. You realize, oh, thank you for your grace. Thank you. You respond to his diatheke arrangement. And then we're supposed to continue living under diatheke. As revealed in his word. It's a diatheke relationship. Because here's the crazy thing. When the greater sets the terms and the lesser agrees to the term, who reaps all the benefits? We do. The lesser. That's the great thing about it, right? He sets it all up for our benefit. He sets it all up for our benefit. Now, the challenge is this. Many of us come to the gospel on the front end, and it's diatheke. We submit, we surrender, we put our faith in Jesus. Over time, and if we come to a challenging passage in Scripture, we want to turn it into suntheke. Right? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Can we negotiate that one, God? So what's happening if you're struggling in areas of your walk with the Lord? Ask yourself if you slid into wanting to make it a soon thank you arrangement. You're trying to negotiate. Let's negotiate terms. I agree on these ten, God, but this one, can I just It's diatheke for your benefit and my benefit, right? You have to understand that because that same teachable diatheke heart is what you have to bring to Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Are you teachable? Are you willing? Are you willing to take an honest look at yourself and say, man, even to benefit it out? I didn't. I never heard that before. I just assumed, right? I told you I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I know the Our Father. I've been saying it since I could talk, right? But Jesus says, look at this. We looked at this last week. In uh, Matthew 6. So Jesus starts with how to pray by how not to pray. And look what he says in Matthew 6. And when you pray, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. When when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. First, first thing, how not to pray, it's not about you. Prayer is not about you. That, that's the first, eh. the first how not to pray is when you pray, it's not about you. Take your focus off of you 100%. It's not about you. Okay? It's not about you pridefully. And here's the other thing we talked about. It's not about you fearfully. And we talked about this. How many of us are scared to pray in public because we're scared of what people will think about us? How many of you are scared to raise your hand because you're thinking afraid of what people will think about you right now? <laughs> it's like, bust, right? Okay. Permission to raise your hand freely. How many have ever been in prayer and you've been hesitant or did not pray because you were afraid of what the person next to you in the group was going to think of your prayer? Where does that even come from? We're talking to Father. It's like crazy. I I had three siblings. And when we would go talk to my dad, very rarely was I concerned about what they were thinking about when I was talking to dad. I I just talked to dad. Right? But it's about us. It's about us either in pride or it's about us even in fear, which is still pride, fear of man. Right? He says, don't make it like that. And then he keeps going. He says, look, in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And in the NLT, it says this, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do, 
They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. This is one of those, I gave you a bunch of reasons why the Our Father and these types of prayers are not meant to be rote and ritually. Jesus himself says it. That's not why he hears you. Now, is there anything wrong with reciting it? It's a beautiful prayer. Nothing wrong with reciting it. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with reciting a memory verse. Amen? It's a passage of Scripture. You can recite a passage of Scripture, but you don't pray it repetitively because Jesus himself says don't do that. That's not why he hears you. Okay? So it's not about us, and it's not about ritual repetition. Imagine. There are Jewish religious leaders present. Their mouths are like, what is he talking about? Because he's blowing up a lot of tradition. And he's blowing up a lot of religious history here. The two things of how not to, he's like, is he talking about you? I think he's talking about you. He's really talking about you. These religious leaders, not only are they pretty confused, many of them are probably getting kind of ticked. Like, are you kidding me? That's not how we prayed for centuries, right? Because prayer was an integral part of the Jewish religion, still is. But they had a very different approach to it. Very different approach, right? And so he says like this, and he says in verse 9, all right? Garrett, we can put up verse 9. Pray then like this. Question, what does the word pray even mean? Anyone, you know, if you were here last Sunday, of course, you know now, right? How many of you have ever looked up pray? Well, it's talking to God, right? It's just talking to God. Is it? What does it mean to pray? We just skip right past that word. We just skipped right past it, right? Well, the word pray is a Greek word pronounced pros uhomai. Pros uhomai. There's the Greek word up there, right? Two, two aspects to this Greek word. Pros means facing before. Here's the important part of this. Consciousness that one is speaking to God. Consciousness. You are aware, you are conscious of the fact that you are speaking to the God of the universe right now. Right now. You know what's crazy? There's an attribute of God called omnipresence. Right? What does omnipresence mean? He's everywhere all the time. But people, that's right, but they skip, they keep, they miss the other part of omnipresence. He is everywhere all the time, and it's 100% of him everywhere all the time. Mind-blowing. So here's the crazy thing. He's praying. She's praying. You're praying. And God's omnipresence means you got 100% of him. You got his undivided 100% attention. It's not like 10%, 2%, 1%, 8%. Oh, you're really spiritual, 12%. He's not dividing himself up. The crazy thing about the word pray is that you come before into the presence of God and you have 100% of his attention. How's that? That's mind blowing. My little pea brain is still trying to wrap myself. He's 100% everywhere, 100% of him. Think about the next time when you're going through something and you're feeling alone. (laughs) 100% of him is there. Right? You know, sometimes we're like, God, if you're not too busy with the world issues. And God, you know, I know there's a lot going on. And and, and it's just little old me. Some of us have this little old me, I I don't mean to bug you, Father, attitude. No. What does Hebrews say? Come confidently to the throne. And now you understand when you come confidently to the throne, you have 100% of him. What do you need, Teresa? Right? Right? So you can make your request known, knowing that you have 100% of Father's attention. That's what it means. And then it says that last word, oh, who am I? It means to speak out, to speak to God with a definite aim. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. So to pray, the word pray means to be consciously aware that you're talking to Father God of the universe and you're coming to speak and you're coming with, with something to say. And it includes worship, confession, adoration, all of it. That's what it means to pray. Right? The heart of it is coming before the presence of Father. Right? 
I love this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And then Matthew 9, Jesus says, pray like this, okay? So when he says like this, it means in this manner. It's a model prayer. It's a model prayer. It's not meant to be recited ritualistically. He says pray like this, in this manner. Because in Matthew 6, he prays it differently than Luke 11. So even Jesus says the Lord's prayer differently, okay? And like I shared last Sunday, no one in the New Testament recites the Lord's prayer word for word. Okay, so there's reasons that it's more of a model than just this rote ritual. Okay, he says like this. Go ahead, Garrett. Put up Matthew nine, uh, Matthew six nine. He says, pray like this: Our Father, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First word is our. Remember when he said prayer isn't about you? What's his first word? Our. In fact, in the whole prayer, there's no first-person singular. There's no I, me, my at all in this prayer. It's our, we, and us. So right off the bat, Jesus begins his model prayer by saying, Hey, it's not about you. It's about the redeemed. It's about the church. Our Father. And then he says, Father. Again, Jewish leaders would have said, Oh. He says, Our Father. Abba. He uses this term of endearment, Papa, Daddy. And he says, when you pray, you pray because it's family. The Jewish leaders would have flipped. That's not how we pray in the Old Testament. That's God, Yahweh, unapproachable. Right? He says, no, pray like this. Our Father. That's why I challenge many of you, and some of you did it, and I was blessed to hear how God impacted you this week by choosing to start your prayer time with Father. Because many times, some of you say, dear God, right? Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But Jesus in his model says, pray this way, our Father. It's family. It's family. Right? And it's only for those that can call him Father. Right? John 1. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's really believers who can actually pray the disciples' prayer. Not everyone can say, Our Father. It's those that have put their faith in Jesus and have become children of God can approach him and say, Father. Right? And it says, in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's Father. You can approach him like Papa, Dad. And yet, our Father is the King of kings. Right? Psalm 97.9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Psalm 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. That is your Father. Your Father rules Your father is king in the universal, eternal sense. Your father, our father, is still on his throne right now. Right now. And he says, when you pray, come into father, father's presence as a family, as a loved child, but still recognize who he is. See, that prevents us from getting too flippant. A lot of times... I know for me, in my journey with Jesus, and sometimes I just picked it up. Sometimes it was just me in the flesh. Sometimes I just became too cavalier with prayer. I just became too cavalier. And it's like, hey, you know, and I'm just like shooting up prayers. And I'm like really disrespecting the king of the universe in my flippancy. Right? And other times I kind of swing the other way. And I'd become, as I was trying to figure out how to pray, I'd become very, in my own tradition, growing up, it becomes very formal. And now I'm, I'm addressing him. As a distant God. And so I've had to figure out, how do you do this? How do you pray to our Father, King of the universe? That's a healthy place to be. You need to stay there. You need to stay there. And then we saw last week, he's like, hallowed be your name. That's the first petition. 
That's the first petition. I know, and you don't have to raise your hand because I'm guessing there are a lot of hands going. I went through this season where generally my first petition in prayer was for who? I generally skew 90% of my prayer time about me, asking for my stuff right off the bat, right? But what's crazy is look at here. It says, our Father in heaven, first petition, petition number one, hallowed be your name. We saw that last week. The name means who he is. In the Old Testament, name was the entire character of the person. So when you want God's name to be hallowed, you want it to be holy, set apart, revered. Lord, may your name be hallowed in my life first and in this community and in our country and in the world. I want the name of God to be hallowed, right? That's a request. That's request number one. And we asked ourselves last week, is there an area of your life where God's name isn't being hallowed? Honestly. Right? When you stop, if you go home and you pray this prayer and you say, Lord, hallowed be your name. To make it a prayer and not to make it praying and not just saying, you say this, Lord, hallowed be your name. Father, is there an area in my life where your name isn't being hallowed, where I'm disrespecting you, where I'm not honoring you? Then suddenly you're praying. And you're not just ritualistically repeating something. Now you're having a conversation. And you're listening. You're listening. A lot of times I define prayer as me talking at God, and when I was done, the prayer time was done. Anyone ever have a conversation where you can't get an edge in, a word in edgewise with somebody? And you're like, I thought we were having a conversation, but I realized quickly it was one-sided. Anyone? And as soon as they were done talking at you, where did they, they peaced out. Hey, thanks for listening. And you're like, ah. I wonder how many times we come to prayer and we say, Father, in Jesus' name, peace out. And he's like, I was going to tell you how to handle it. I was going to give you some scripture. I was going to, I was actually going to, I was going to, I was going to. And we're like, peace out. And we're like, just have my quiet time. Crazy, right? How we do this. We talk at God, then we walk away going, feeling good. I just had a quiet time with God. Didn't give him a chance to talk back, but check it off the list. Quiet time, done. Is that praying or just saying? Is that praying or just saying, right? And then, and then we're going to just nudge it. We're just going to nudge it today to the next two petitions. All right, the next two, which have to do with who? God, we haven't even got to us yet. We haven't even got to us. So, hallowed be your name. Lord, I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be holy, set apart. Petition two, your kingdom come. Petition three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three petitions all focused on who? God. The crazy thing is, if we were to actually pray this model prayer, honestly, if you sat and you actually work through these prayers and these petitions, you may never get to yourself. You just might not get to, list, to your laundry list because you become so consumed with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the heart issue behind that? When he says your kingdom come, sure, a lot of people look at that in an eschatological or end time sense where Jesus in Revelation comes and sets up his kingdom, right? That's there, but really, when it says kingdom, in the New Testament, the word kingdom really, it's not necessarily a geographical territory. What it means is royalty reigning and ruling. That's what kingdom is. Royalty reigning and ruling, right? Sovereign. So when, when we say, your kingdom come, we are asking for God to rule and reign, beginning with me. Your kingdom come. Your rule, your reign come in my life. Your rule, your reign come to this country. Your rule, your reign come to this universe, this planet. Right? Isn't that ultimately what we would want? God's rule and reign on planet Earth? Right? That's an incredible, wonderful prayer. The good news is we know what's going to happen. We know what's happening. But when we say your kingdom come, the heart issue is, Lord, 
your rule, your reign, your kingdom come. Right? I love this quote by Alan Redpath. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. We could camp there. We can camp there. I mean, I just like challenge left and right with this. I'm like, Lord, how many times do I come to you in prayer and what I'm asking you to do is make my kingdom work? Lord, my kingdom come. Lord, meet my needs. I need a job. I need a relationship fix. I need this. I need that. And at the core of it is my kingdom. My kingdom, God. My kingdom. And yet, what's the, what does Jesus say? Right? Our Father, go ahead, Garrett, put it back up. Matthew 6, right? It says, your kingdom come. What difference would it make in your prayer time before you went to sleep tonight? It said, Lord, your kingdom come. Your rule, your reign in my life. Let that be evident to all. Let that be the heartbeat of my life. God's kingdom come. And then when he says, very similar, very, you can't separate the two. They're really kind of synonymous. He says, your will be done. So if you're saying, Lord, your reign, your rule, you're also saying in the same breath, and by the way, your will be done. Because again, how many of us are praying prayers where we want God to bless our will and our kingdom? God, can you do this for me, please? God, can you meet this need? Can you meet this need? And deep down, it's about my kingdom and my will. And we flipped it. And it goes all the way back to the heart of prayer. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you. And so this, this, this afternoon and, and we, as we move into the week, just encouraging us this heart of prayer to pray the model that Jesus prays. In fact, in 1 John 2, he says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Matthew 6, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, here it is. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You see, our prayer time, this this. This is where, again, radical paradigm shift in the whole purpose of prayer. A lot of times I've approached it. I grew up years and years. Prayer was about my kingdom and my will, and God was supposed to meet my needs. And if he didn't meet my needs on my timeline, I was upset. Right? It was really a me-centered prayer. Right? Then I came across this. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote something called A Day in the Life of Ivan Desinovich. And it's what he says. Ivan endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he is praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner notices him and says with ridicule, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. Here's a quote. Prayer is not manipulating God to get what we want, but discovering what he wants us to do, and then asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will. Prayer is not a way to get what we want, but the way to become what God wants. That just changed it, didn't it? That just changed the whole purpose and attitude of the heart about why you come into Father's presence. The next time you come to Father and you say, Father, it's really all about you. I want your name hallowed. I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in my life. Father, I'm going to sit 
and I want you to speak to me about how to be conformed to your will. Because what is sanctification, right? Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus. Kind of in relationship to praying, what is sanctification? More and more of God's kingdom, more and more of God's will. You want to be more like Jesus? There's your prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The more it's about his kingdom and the more it's about his will, the more you're going to look like Jesus. That's the prayer. Jesus is setting us up on the front end. You want to be more like me? You want to be more Christ-like? You want to be transformed? Then make it about his name, his kingdom, and his will. That's how you do it. That's how you do it, right? And I was sharing with with the guys this morning, uh, even in the context of church, even in the context of church, we have this sort of sense, especially, I don't know if it's just the American church, the consumerism, right, that even at church, it's about me. What am I going to get? Am I going to get a good sermon? Am I going to get good worship? Am I going to get a good donut, right? I mean, am I? We come on Sundays with I to be what I call a getter. How many of us came this morning with a we? The church, right? It's us. And then you say, if you come with that and say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is his will and kingdom for us as a church? To love one another, to bear all the one another's. In a very practical sense, the Bible says he's given us all gifts, a spiritual gift, to be used for the edification of the church. Amen? So, if it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you should be saying, Lord, where am I supposed to be using my gift? See, that just changes my job. Because a lot of times in the church, the, the hard part about my job is I become the telemarketer. Hey, have I got a deal for you. Kingdom kids needs volunteers. And then I'm going to try to sell you one. You know, that it's good for you. Right? It's really good for you to serve in the church. And it gets all weird and funky, right? Even like giving gets weird and funky. And like, the truth is, I I believe this. If the church were to literally say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the area of serving, giving, yada, yada, we would have no shortage of volunteers in this church. And we would, we would have no shortage of money, no shortage of anything, because all of you would be seeking God's will for his kingdom. And you would just do it. You would just go and do it. And that's the beauty of this. When we literally start praying Jesus' model, watch out. The church comes to life. You have new enthusiasm, you, new, you have purpose, you have vision, you, you get, you're just like excited because it's a we, it's not just me. And man, God uses you because you got over your bad, as Bill likes to say, you got over your bad self, right? And so a lot of us in prayer, we just need to get over our bad self. We need to spend the first third, I don't know how many lines that is, right? So... I don't know if you add up all those lines. The first three petitions out of seven or eight are all about him. (laughs) What if you were to like consciously choose the first third of your prayer time, half of your prayer time, to not even ask for anything for you? What would that do? For some of you, it would transform your life. Because you would be so consumed with him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Father, show me. Show me how to manifest your will. Show me how to rule and reign. And he would speak to you and he would show you an area in your life. And you would go do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're like, oh, yeah. Okay, Father, show me something else. Show me. And you would stop just becoming this demanding person. You would just be coming to him repeatedly to be listening and then go doing. And you'd come back and your prayer time just explodes. Because now you're having conversation with Father. Now you're having conversation with him, right? great example of this is, is even in Titus, right? In the New Testament, slaves, there were slaves, and some of them became Christian. They were still slaves. In this culture, slaves were treated as property. Families could be destroyed. You could be sold. You could be killed. You were treated horribly, and yet slaves became Christians, right? 
So in Titus, a verse we looked at during Christmas, it says, Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then, everyone say then, then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. So crazy, right? This is the manifestation. Lord, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, slaves, you're still going to go tomorrow to a horrific slave lifestyle. Nothing changed except Accept your purpose. Accept now, my believing slaves, you can make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way by how you conduct yourself in that horrific situation. See, a lot of us, we're like, Lord, uh, I need a new boss. (laughs) Right? Lord, change the circumstance. And if the circumstance changes, I'll change. And God's saying, no, no. You got it flipped again. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, so tomorrow at work, this is how you deal, how you deal with it. Your boss ain't going to change. You can change. Amen? That's the whole point. The slaves in this passage were being challenged and taught to live for kingdom purposes. They were being taught and challenged to live for the glory of the kingdom, to make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. So I don't know what circumstance you're going to face today or tomorrow or this week, but I do know based on the authority of Scripture, you can make walking with Jesus attractive. It's your choice. That choice is really dependent on your prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's the prayer. It's a heart issue. It's a trust issue. It's a submission issue. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Greatest example, what did Jesus? John 6, 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to do the Father's will. Right? Very familiar uh, prayer in the garden. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's just modeling the model prayer. He's just modeling the model of prayer for us. Right? So we're going to do what we did last week. And we're not just going to have teaching about it. We're going to pray. And last Sunday, we sat quietly, and Bill, you can time this again. We sat quietly for one minute last Sunday, and I challenged you, for one minute, focus on our Father, hallowed be your name. For one minute. And that's a challenge, because how many of you, you sit quietly, and your mind's going 10,000 miles an hour still, right? Takes you a minute just to quiet everything down. We're going to pray, and we're going to sit quietly, and here's the focus today. Your kingdom come, your will be done. For a minute, take your eyes off your circumstance, take your eyes off everything you want to ask God to do for you, and just for one minute, seek Father for his rule and reign in your life. Seek Father for his will to be done in your life. And he might just start talking to you about areas in your life where you're still on the throne. You're still battling. It's your kingdom. It's your will. This is what happens when you sit and you listen and you pray. Say, Father, for a minute, we're going to sit and focus on your rule and your reign coming in our life. And Father, for a minute, we're going to sit and we're going to be humble and submissive to your will. And just a word of encouragement. God's will is revealed primarily through what? His word. So in this prayer, here's the deal. If you're going to submit and pray to seek God's will, he's going to reveal it through his scripture. In, in years past, I've had people say, well, I know this is God's will for me. I prayed about it, and it's diametrically opposed to scripture. God is not going to speak to you in prayer something that contradicts his word. Okay? That is the check of checks. So if you say, God, what is your will? He's going to speak to you through the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. 
So just, just I'm gonna put that out there because I've heard that many times in 30 years that people are convinced that because they prayed about something that that's what it is when it's opposed to the Word of God. Now, it's the Word of God. <laughs> so whenever there's a question, who wins? God. Okay? But for one minute, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go to Father's throne. Father, our Father, forgive us if our time of prayer has not been what it should be. Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come in our lives, your kingdom come in this church. Father, your will be done in our lives. Your will be done in this church, your church. Father, as we sit here, we know that your will is being perfectly done in heaven. And Father, even in our imperfection, our desire is that you would be glorified as your kingdom comes and as your will is done in and through us. You are God. You are King. You are enthroned. And as we choose to pray, to come into your presence, intentionally aware of you, we are in awe that we can call King of Kings. Abba, and that we have your 100% attention 24-7.